everyone. This is Sam. And this is Kareen, and we are two Octucks. So this week's episode is going to be a little bit different, and we are going to be focusing on how we prepared the days leading up to our board exams. We both took our board exams last year, and so the stress leading up to the exam is certainly fresh in our minds, how we prepared, how we did not cram, but we did some last-minute tidbits um, is right here in our forefront. We also remember kind of a lot of the questions or the topics that were asked on our board exams, so we're going to give you guys kind of our lowdown on what to expect and how you guys can prepare in the last few days. Yes, so it's important to know that the actual exam is four blocks for each the heme day and the oncology day, and each block is 60 questions for a total of 240 questions. And in terms of the top four oncology topics based on the blueprint, 14% of questions are GI, 13% are breast, 12% are GU, and 11% are lung. And the top hematology topics based on the blueprint has actually 35% base of neoplasm hematology topics. Yeah, I think using the blueprint to your benefit is going to really make the most of the last few days. So hit those high yield topics and definitely hit malignant hematology because not only is it a big chunk of the heme board exam, but it's also the onc board exam. And so some generalized advice in addition to this is know that these tests are back-to-back days um, this year and previous years, sometimes you have a day in between. And so in future years, actually fellows can take the board exams in third year. I don't know if that's a pro or a con, but it's an option for people moving forward. Forward. And in the days leading up to our board exam, the big things that both of us did is we reviewed our cheat sheets. So those handwritten cheat sheets, one page on each topic, we you know flipped through those. We also reviewed high yield topics, as we mentioned above, based on the blueprint of both of these ABIM exams. And we both did some test style questions with mixing up the categories. So instead of doing an entire chunk of 20 breast questions, we did these test blocks where it was a breast question a prostate question, then a heme question, kind of to get your mind wrapped around, you're going to have different topics thrown at you each question and how to kind of get used to that style. And so the next thing that we're going to talk about is a few high yield topics for both the ONC and the heme boards. And we're going to start with the oncology boards. And so one high yield topic that both Karina and I talked about when we walked out of our test was stage two and three non-small cell lung cancer. We both felt like there was many questions, even in each section on this stage two and three non-small cell lung cancer. And so just to review the stage and the treatments for you guys, stage one is is less than four centimeters lymph node negative, and you treat that with surgery or radiation. Stage two, if it's greater than four centimeters, less or greater than four centimeters, but less than seven centimeters, node positive, you treat that with surgery followed by four cycles of chemotherapy. Commit that to memory. And then for stage three, that is greater than seven centimeter tumor, having multiple nodules in the same or the ipsilateral lobe, having N2 disease or N3 disease, you treat these stage threes with chemo or chemo radiation followed by surgery. Or if the patient's a non-surgical candidate, you do chemo radiation followed by the year of dervalumab. 
Also remember the adjuvant chemotherapy regimens. If the patient has squamous cell, we generally use this platin plus gemcitabine or docetaxel. And if the patient has adenocarcinoma, we use this platin plus pemetrexid in those vignettes. Um, another thing is the month leading up to the oncology exam. I focused heavily on the highest yield solid tumors. So that was a lot of GI questions, a lot of reviewing GI, a lot of breast review, and then again, a lot of lung review. Yeah, so I'm going to cover some high yield points in breast cancer because, as we saw, that is in the commonly tested fields of the exam. And so, one of the ways that you can get to the things they're going to ask you about would be to open the NCCN guidelines and control search the word category one in all of those most common tumor types. And so, for the category one things that come up under the breast section, I'll break it down in terms of adjuvant and then metastatic. So in adjuvant systemic therapy for HER2 positive that are that have positive lymph nodes or tumors more than one centimeter, you're going to need to give neoadjuvant or adjuvant chemotherapy. And all of the regimens will contain trastuzumab for those HER2 positive. And for the smaller tumors, you can get away with just trastuzumab with paclitaxel. But in those larger tumors, you're going to do AC followed by TH. Remember, the AC is adromycin, and the C is cyclophosphamide in this setting. And then the TH is the trastuzumab with the H being paclitaxel. Oh, sorry, the T being paclitaxel. And then for even larger tumors, for those with positive lymph nodes, you may even favor AC followed by THP with the P being the pertuzumab that is added. Definitely remember that if someone gets new adjuvant chemo in the HER2 setting and there's residual disease, you will give TDM1. In the hormone-positive adjuvant setting, consider the 21-gene PCR assay known as oncotype and remember the cutoff for score and age. So for those that are postmenopausal with a gene score less than 26, those women do not need chemo, just endocrine therapy. For those that are premenopausal with an oncotype less than 16, no chemo, just endocrine therapy. Remember that those with that are hormone positive with many positive lymph nodes, such as more than four axillary lymph nodes, if they have clinically detected internal mammary lymph nodes, if they have those further lymph nodes like infraclavicular or supraclavicular, those will all need chemotherapy. And then remember the endocrine therapy choices for premenopausal is either tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor plus ovarian suppression. And for postmenopausal, an aromatase inhibitor is preferred. For those triple negative patients, remember that all those with positive lymph nodes or tumor more than one centimeter need chemotherapy. And it's that AC plus T regimen. Although some smaller tumors can get away with just TC, which is docetaxel with cyclophosphamide. And for those that receive neoadjuvant chemo that are triple negative, remember that if there's residual disease, you can give capsidabine. And then in the metastatic setting, some category one high yield points are that if someone has bone mets, you should be giving bone protective therapy, such as a bisphosphonate or denosumab. Remember that first line, aromatase inhibitor or fulvestrant plus CDK4-6 if you're ER positive. Remember that now the preferred second line in HER2 positive metastatic is trastuzumab deruxican, and it does have that rare toxicity of special interest, which is interstitial lung disease. 
And remember that for any tumor that is BRCA1 or 2, you have the option of a PARP inhibitor. In breast cancer, those are olaparib and talazoparib. But in any other tumor types that are BRCA positive, we also have approvals with these drugs. And then we certainly felt like we had a lot of questions on inflammatory breast cancer. So in the localized setting, remember that neoadjuvant therapy is preferred followed by mastectomy. Yeah. And I think the mastectomy is the big key once that, and there is no breast sparing surgery for the inflammatory breast cancers. Um, that definitely was a question for us. And so switching gears to the hematology boards now. Um, big thing for this is if you're more onc minded like me and Kareen, um, the heme boards at least gave me more anxiety. Um, the onc boards, I feel like I had a better grasp on. And to be honest, I focused a lot of my heme board studying on the malignant heme questions and those topics, because again, the malignant heme is a large chunk of both exam days. There is malignant heme on both the oncology boards and then also the hematology boards. And it's actually the largest chunk of the hematology boards. The benign heme topics. I actually studied them earlier on in my studying plan. So that was more my July, August. Um, and then I did a quick review of the cheat sheets leading up the month to week prior to the test, um, just because I knew that was not my strong suit, but I needed to brush up on them quickly. The day before in the morning of, I have to tell you guys, I reviewed the hemoglobin electrophoresis PowerPoint and video that was provided by the ASH board review series. This is a free board review series. I hope you guys have all used it already. And Dr. Dr. Alice Ma has put together the best um, review of hemoglobin electrophoresis that I have ever encountered. And so we'll do a full episode on this soon, but Dr. Ma's review really is hands on the best. And I, or Karine and I, I feel like we'll never do it justice. But briefly, just to remember, normal hemoglobin has two alpha chains and two beta chains. Hemoglobin A is alpha, alpha, beta, beta. Hemoglobin A2 is alpha, alpha, delta, delta. Hemoglobin F is alpha, alpha, gamma, gamma. And the normal hemoglobin makeup that we usually have is hemoglobin A is about 95 to 98%. Hemoglobin A2 is about 2 to 3%. And hemoglobin F is 1 to 2% in an adult. And so the hemoglobinopathies that you absolutely need to know how to diagnose based on electrophoresis includes all of the thalassemias hemoglobin S, hemoglobin C, hemoglobin E, sickle cell trait, as well as sickle cell disease, hemoglobin Lepore, and hemoglobin constant springs. Because I tell you, there was a lot of these questions on our hematology boards in each of the sections. So if you review one thing in benign heme the day or a few days before, I think that it should be a hemoglobin electrophoresis. Yeah, I definitely agree very highly tested. And I'm going to cover two other features of benign hematology that we felt were highly tested as well. And maybe certain things that we don't necessarily see that often on a day-to-day. And so one of the things I really loved was Sam's Von Willebrand review. So if you want to get the question right, remember that the type one and three are the quantitative defects with one being a partial defect and three being a complete defect. Whereas all of the type 2 von Willebrands are qualitative issues uh, in von Willebrand factor. And I really love Sam's mnemonic with type 2A having large and intermediate sized multimers, which are absent. And so she remembers this by thinking of a type A personality, individual folding multimers. So they're making them very small and compact. So there's no large or intermediate sized multimers. 
the type 2B, she remembered B being biting up the platelets and you'll have thrombocytopenia because of this. And because of this, you will never give DDAVP as it will cause a release of more defective von Willebrand factor and will worsen the thrombocytopenia. And then type 2N in this on a test looks like hemophilia A and it will likely present like a female because unlike hemophilia A, it's not X-linked. And so she remembered this by the N being non-male hemophilia. And then finally, type 2M is very rare with variable bleeding. And there's a a pronounced decrease in von Willebrand factor activity, but all the multimers are present. So she remembered this with the M standing for multimers, which are normal. And so you can listen to the full episode, which we cover all of the different diagnostic criteria and treatment. But this was definitely something that you can commit to memory and get those couple questions, right? And another section that we haven't covered yet in an episode, but we did feel like this was highly tested, are hematology congenital bone marrow, bone marrow failure disorders. And I would definitely rewatch that ASH lecture on these disorders the day before, if you can. And so one thing to remember is that all of these bone marrow failure disorders have an increased risk of AML, as well as solid tumors, including squamous cell carcinoma. And some of the features for some of the most commonly tested ones are that for dyskeratosis congenita, remember that you're going to have skin and lung findings. Um, And that is characterized by pulmonary fibrosis, skin and nail findings, cirrhosis, and the diagnostic workup is telomere length analysis, and the treatment includes androgen therapy like danazole. The second highly tested bone marrow failure disorder is Fanconi anemia, and that is characterized by gonadal abnormalities, short digits, hearing loss. They can have cafe au lait spots, and you're going to diagnose this by chromosome breaks and lymphocytes, and the treatment is also androgen. The third disorder is diamond black fan. And for this one, you have primarily erythroid abnormalities. And you can also have thumb and craniofacial abnormalities, increased heart defects like VSD, and you'll find an increased HBF. And the diagnostic lab is erythrocyte deaminase, and the treatment is steroids, but not androgens. And do not mix up this diamond black fan with Schwaman diamond. They both have the word diamond in there. Schwaman diamond is primarily an issue with neutropenia, not anemia like diamond black fan. And Schwaman diamond also have pancreatic insufficiency as well as failure to thrive. And one of the ways that I remember this is that the Chicago Blackhawks, so Blackhawks, black fan, um, the jerseys are red. So it's primarily an issue with red cells. That makes me very happy. <laughs> as a Chicago Blackhawks fan, I enjoy that one. Um, and so one last thing that I, we both wanted to cover is that for both exams, oncology and hematology, there's a few other categories that aren't necessarily based around a topic um, of a malignant heme disease or a solid tumor. And those are things like know the black box warning for drug toxicities. These are the big toxicities that everyone walking into their boards should know, and they're the most tested toxicities. Um, I say this because the boards are really trying to keep, in the words of one of my my um, prior teachers and during fellowship, they're trying to keep the dangerous drivers off the road. So you want to know those black box warnings. So you aren't ever going to give someone those. And also they're heavily tested. 
Another big topic that you guys should just review quickly is clinical research methodology. Know what a phase one trial is, know how that they're built, know how to interpret a hazard ratio, and and understand intent to treat analysis. This is something you guys can quickly brush up on. It's things that you guys know and have seen time and time again, so you can get all those questions right. Another topic is ethics. These are generally common sense type questions, so I don't necessarily think you need to stress or study for them per se, but keep in mind that ethics is going to be on there and you're going to see those questions. Along those same lines is know the times in oncology that we recommend surveillance. It's not a lot. And so therefore those are going to be the tested scenarios where surveillance would be the right answer or observation. Also know when to recommend best supportive care. And this is mostly based on having um, a worse ECOG performance status. So know when not to harm someone with our treatments, even though you have good intentions in mind, um, know when to call, call best supportive care and palliative care. Also, haven't gotten to this topic either, but again, supportive care. Include the risk factors for chemotherapy-related emesis, how to treat, how to manage those um, toxicities of hormone therapy in both men and women. So those are going to be big questions that they're going to ask. Mostly common sense things that we've all encountered, um, but we'll do maybe some further episodes in the future. And then one last thing that we wanted to talk about is wellness. You know, you guys are walking into another board exam. This is not our your first board or board style exam. You've been through many of these. They are long. They are tedious days staring at a computer screen in a proctoring center. So make sure you guys are sleeping well. You are eating well. You are getting regular exercise and fresh air. Do not forget these things you've heard many times now because this is another board exam. Don't ignore the things that you know you should be doing. Also, remember there's no true cramming for boards. The days leading up to these exams should really be for light reviewing, getting yourself in a good mindset. Try not to cram, rewatch every video. You can't redo every question. So this is just a mental relaxation of yourself. And remember the pass rates are pretty darn high for these. This is in your favor. So try to walk in, you know, confident. You guys can do this. You guys will pass this. Yeah, I definitely agree. Don't forget about wellness. And so we're wishing everyone the best of luck on the boards if you're taking them this year. And please let us know if you found any episodes particularly helpful. If you do take them, we'll not be releasing a new episode next week, but happy Thanksgiving to all if you celebrate. And we will be back with more new exciting content in December. And as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to us with comments or suggestions for further episodes on our Instagram or our Twitter, 2 Docs.